So hello everyone, uh, welcome to this session on responsible AI for healthcare. I'm joined by some of the esteemed industry colleagues today. Uh, the first one is Anand Rao, uh, and I'll let everyone introduce them. So Anand, would you like to take some time to introduce yourself? Uh, I mean, most of the industry knows you, but uh, still a bit of an introduction would be helpful. Thanks, Prasad, and thanks for having me on this panel, um, as, as you were saying. So I'm a partner uh, in PwC. I'm the Global Artificial Intelligence Lead. And I started my career in AI way back in 1985. So I did my PhD in AI, spent around 10, 12 years more in aerospace and defense, working for DAPA, NASA, and a number of other projects. Then shifted more into management consulting side after doing my MBA and been in the business world uh, since then. Over the past 10 years, I've brought together more the business side of uh, uh, this problems with the uh, AI that we were doing earlier. And of course, AI is also changing. So over the past 10 years, it has been combining both. And over the past, I would say six, seven years, we have been very focused on responsible AI. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but broader AI and what we do with uh, implementing projects, but then how to be more responsible as we do it. Absolutely. And Anand has been a bit modest in, term to, in terms of his introduction. He has been basically a guru and a uh, motivational figure for so many like me over the years. Um, Swati, uh, again, thank you for joining the panel. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you, Prasad, and thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Swati Young, Chief Technology Officer at Integrity Management Services, and uh, where I lead the uh, implementation of AIML, especially in healthcare sector for clients such as CMS, HHS, and even uh, Department of Veteran Affairs Healthcare Programs. Um, I've been a technologist my entire career, so held uh, various positions in the last uh, decade or so, uh, leading engineering and data science teams and the work on some interesting projects. I also actually mentor uh, middle school, high school girls uh, to bring more diversity into AI. I have a women in AI ambassador. And uh, during my spare time, I mentor non-binary and uh, more women to get into AI as well. I'm a Forbes Technology Council member. And most recently, I've been leading the AI Working Group, which is a collaboration between industry academia and uh, leaders in federal agencies here in Washington, D.C. So as part of that program, I co-authored the Ethical AI Framework for Federal Agencies, as well as the AI Playbook, which is a framework to implement um, AI and machine learning algorithms for any federal agency here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Swati. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm sure your experience, not only with respect to AI, but your efforts in terms of diversity uh, might be crucial for this discussion. So thanks once again for joining us. Uh, Tarun, uh, you are the youngest in the panel. Would you like to you introduce yourself? Uh, take as much time as you want. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Prasad. And I'm really uh, excited to join Anand and Swati today. Certainly, most definitely, they have a wide breadth of experience in the AI realm of things. Uh, so as far as my background goes, um, I have spent majority of my career in healthcare as well. 
but uh, I have looked at AI from a different lens. While I have an analytics background and experience, uh, I have supported several operational roles as well. Uh, so a kind of looking at it from the perspective of how can we bring technology, analytics, data, and then also systems engineering and process improvement to be able to enable the use by caregivers, patients, uh, and then the whole healthcare ecosystem is where I think uh, my experience will bring diversity today. So again, really excited to be here. Uh, I've been a part of few uh, really exciting medical decision-making algorithms implementation during my time at Mayo Clinic uh, and currently uh, working at Atrium Health as the Chief Analytics Officer. So excited to be here again. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the introduction, Tarun. Uh, and, uh, you know, this this is a diverse panel. Uh, Anand is an AI expert and some an AI leader we all look up to. Uh, Swati has worked with multiple federal agencies uh, for ethical AI framework, which uh, is a crux of so many things. Uh, Tarun has worked on various uh, uh, operational issues as well, right? Apart from uh, looking at AI and technology and how it can be better embedded in the operations part of it. Uh, and last but not the least, hopefully, uh, I'm Prasad, I'm host of the panel. Uh, I'm a director at a consulting firm called Axtria, which works with most of the life sciences clients. Uh, previously, uh, I worked at management consulting firms, uh, uh, I have worked at NIH. I have worked with most of the providers and payers uh, from ACA implementation to a lot of other uh, aspects uh, with respect to data, AI, and technology. Uh, and it is one of the most difficult field to be in, uh, especially while implementing AI, uh, because there are so many regulatory uh, aspects of it, which uh, there are so many operational aspects of it, there are so many healthcare and clinical aspects of it, uh, which uh, all of us need to understand while implementing AI. Uh, so Anand, my first question, and I'll start with you, is what is responsible AI? Is it same as ethical AI? And why is it so important, uh, especially in the healthcare sector? No, great question, uh, Prasad. So as you said, responsible AI, ethical AI, there are a couple of other terms that people throw in as well, right? So beneficial AI and trustworthy AI, right? So they all are very synonymous. So people look at it and sometimes people use it interchangeably. So the way I like to think about it is basically um, in, in, in steps, right? So when you look at ethical AI, if you take that first, it, ethical AI to me is more uh, doing the right thing, right? So what is it that we want the AI and the algorithms to do and what is the right thing to do, right? So again, uh, ethical AI comes up with a set of principles on how um, AI should um, give, make decisions, use automation, how people should interact with AI. There are some pr principles laid out. Again, there are a number of documents, more than 100 plus documents from which we can distill some of those principles. So ethical AI is much more around doing uh, the right thing, or it is more around the what of AI. 
Now, responsible AI to me is, although it's used sometimes synonymously, it's more around how to do the right thing, right? So it's not just what to be done, how should it be done, right? So it's sort of more around operationalizing the ethics, right? So if you say that uh, transparency is one of the principles that AI should adopt, right? So again, any provider should be transparent. What does that really mean when I'm a data scientist implementing a chatbot? Should I have a declaration saying that anytime uh, someone is chatting with me, I declare myself as, hey, I'm a chatbot, I'm not a human agent. And when it goes to a human, you flip to, this is a human talking, right? So what is that, right? So how do you operationalize it, right? So again, there are multiple areas there within responsible AI. So uh, again, businesses are focused not just on the ethical AI, which obviously policy makers and academics are focused on ethical AI, but businesses want to look at how do we make this more practical, more tangible for our employees, for our customers, for our stakeholders. So that's the responsible AI part to me. So much more around uh, if ethical AI is the what, then the responsible AI is more around the how, right? So the governance around it. So fairness, interpretability, explainability, privacy, security, robustness, deepfakes. So there's a whole host of technical issues and governance and risk management that goes around it, which is more people process. So that's responsible AI. Now, the other term that gets also gets used is beneficial AI. So to me, beneficial AI is more around who benefits from this AI. Right? So you can be responsible, you can be ethical, but the benefit can be only for commercial purposes, which is nothing wrong here, right? So to make money, uh, to get more money to the shareholders and so on, but may not be for the common good of society, right? So people often refer to beneficial AI as something that's beneficial to society at large, not just to one company or one group or, or, or one particular app. So that's, that's what I see as beneficial AI is more addressing the who of AI. So if you look at what, how, and who, uh, then that's what those three things uh, uh, signify. And to me, trustworthy AI is almost a catch-all, right? So you generally need to be ethical, responsible, and beneficial if you really are going to trust an AI system, right? So in that sense, I would say trustworthy AI is probably an umbrella. And uh, again, you asked, why is it important for healthcare? And I think I would say uh, healthcare, I, mean, I think more so than financial arena, right, is this most critical area, right? So it sort of directly impacts human health and well-being, right? So, and if AI is intervening in making certain decisions, certain diagnosis, even certain recommendations, we need to be very, very careful as to how those are mediated and how those things come through, right? So that's why I think it's so critical, especially in the healthcare area. Absolutely, Anand. Wonderful to know your thoughts. Uh, Swati, do you have a perspective uh, on uh, responsible AI and ethical AI, and like Anand said, beneficial AI and so on, especially since you have worked on the frameworks for the federal agencies? Yeah, definitely. I concur with a lot of things that Anand mentioned. And a few things I wanted to add on top of that is, um, yes, a lot of times they're used synonymously, interchangeably, but some, um, depending on the organization, especially I've noticed big pharma and healthcare, um, a lot of them, when they mention responsible AI, they bring aspects of human-centric design and um, socially beneficial, as well as accountability into the picture. So the way I look at it, especially 
um, in ethical AI frameworks, I've read a lot, the one published by United Nations and Australia and so on and so forth. Typically, they have four or five core concepts. One is they start off with bias because there's a lot of talk about data bias, bias in machine learning models, et cetera. And then there is obviously, um, there is fairness that you talk about fairness, which is equitability, et cetera. And then you talk about transparency that Arnand already mentioned. Um, there's also the term of explainability being used because transparency is declaring to your uh, user what, what it is about, like in the case of chatbot, but explainability is one step further. If, um, if your algorithm actually um, detects a healthcare uh, fraudulent behavior in medical claims it, uh, and the healthcare provider is taken to a court of law, then you need to actually provide explainability of your algorithm. What is the weightage of the factors that went into the algorithm that actually made this decision so that the healthcare provider, when called by the DOJ, knows um, that it can stand the scrutiny in a court of law? Um, yeah. So all these uh, I consider come under the ethical AI. And then in, um, in responsible AI, take it one step further and you add the human-centric element, especially like I mentioned, the big pharma, the AstraZeneca of the world, et cetera. Are, um, so what they mean is that in the human-centric design, obviously, they have a lot of conversations with healthcare providers, with caregivers, with patients, et cetera. But also they include aspects of accountability. So basically... Um, they monitor the systems. They pu they publishing they publish the monitoring alerts as well as the um, the drift the data drift as well as the machine learning model drift etc. So they are saying that whatever is the machine learning model we have developed and in in uh, five years down the line if it changes and it drifts from our original intention we take accountability of that. So that's one aspect. Another newer aspects that I'm noticing is that. Uh, the whole emphasis on green technology, right? So, um, so what is the survey technologies that they're being used? What is the carbon footprint? So, um, so basically, becoming better citizens without somebody holding their feet to the fire is becoming building responsible AI systems. And as uh, the younger generation is giving more and more importance to responsible organizations in, at large, um, it's very important that uh, organizations are including this. Um, definitely in designing their algorithms, as well as making sure they publicize uh, about the responsible aspects of the things they're doing towards society. Absolutely, Sarthi. Uh, wonderful answer. And Taran, uh, you have seen all the operations as well with respect to the healthcare systems. Uh, so do you have the same view uh, when it comes to the responsible AI uh, from uh, revenue cycle management to multiple activities hospital is involved in, two clinical uh, support systems or maybe bias in clinical trial management and so on. Yeah, um, so I think, uh, you know, Swati and Anand summarized it really well. The only, uh, it's obviously about accuracy and then eliminating the bias. So we are treating and are doing it fairly. I think one other additional component that I would add to that is, how do we really enable some of those sensitive use cases from AI, right? Uh, when you're really having a dialogue with the consumer here, uh, again, making it consumer-centric with the patient about certain critical diagnostic conditions uh, that are very AI-driven, how do you provide that confidence to the provider and the consumer? 
uh, to really allow for that meaningful intervention uh, is another very big component in my mind of responsible AI and healthcare that uh, will play a very significant role in making it successful. Absolutely. And that is where all the behavioral science and the nudge and a lot of things, including the choice architecture, come into the picture. Uh, so perfect. Uh, I think we have set the stage well for the uh, next few pointers. So Anand, coming back to you, there are a lot of tech players who have tried implementing responsible AI or ethical AI or beneficial AI uh, for a long time, right? They have had teams uh, which are dedicated to those tasks, right? And if I, uh, let us say, uh, read latest reports from uh, MIT Technology Review or a few other uh, magazines, uh, uh, you know, some of these efforts have failed, some of these are successful and so on, right? So what are some of the lessons learned from these technology companies uh, which we can leverage uh, uh, as as a healthcare industry or even in general as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, great question. Uh, the, the way, I mean, we have been working with um, obviously technology players who have been pushing the boundary with respect to AI, responsible AI in all of the areas, but obviously healthcare as well as financial services industry and some of the manufacturing and other sectors. When we actually look at all of them, it's interesting to draw the lessons from each of the, the different sectors and how they have operated in this space. And tech players generally have approached everything with obviously a technology mindset. So they look at more of the opportunity side of the equation and the risk side of the equation always comes later, right? So let me just go prove this works and see how great it is. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, every technology has a good side and a bad side. So they give less importance to the bad side of the technology, right? So of course, people will, will manipulate anything that can be manipulated. So I think there are a couple of key lessons that are coming out from the way technology firms have approached this. I would say sort of three key uh, things from my perspective. One is, I think Swati mentioned this, uh, the, uh, the technology players have a very technical mindset. So what I would advise them to look at, or sort of generally look at a more a human-centered approach. I know human-centered AI and so on is sort of big now as to how do we make sure that the machines are not replacing humans, they are working with humans, augmenting humans, and so on. So I think critical to understanding and implementing responsible AI is the role of people within that. And sometimes um, technology companies can come out as, hey, there's a technology solution for everything. Um, bias? Oh, no, don't worry. Right? We have got a toolkit here and take up, put, it, put all the data through and out comes the other side, unbiased and fair algorithms. Uh, explainability is an issue? Okay, don't, don't worry. So get us your model. We'll turn it through this model evaluator and it'll give you an answer. Yes, I mean, that's, that's possible. I'm not denying that, but that's not the only solution here. It needs to be wrapped around educating the data scientists, bringing in other people apart from the data scientists, the business users, broader consumers, broader stakeholders in society, right? So all of that, that's something that they are learning, right? So I would say a human-centered approach and technology is not the be-all and end-all of all of the solutions. Again, being a technologist, I say that, I mean, we generally did get carried away by the technology, but we need to just sort of step back and look at the other side. So that's one. The second one I would say, 
is much more, uh, I would say, the governance-based approach, right? So what I mean by that is governance in terms of, yes, there are always um, methods and technology companies are very good at inventing new methodologies. Agile methodologies came from there. They're still working on convergence of something that uh, Tarun mentioned, the convergence of data, analytic models, automation, AI, they're all coming together. What is the process and all of that? Yes, there is a way of doing it, but then there's also a governance around it. So we call it the end-to-end governance. It's not just in the data science phase. It is more from the time it sort of gets conceptualized. And there's also a lot of discussion now around the overall ecosystem. So you're bringing in some third-party vendor tools or vendor data even, and you need to make sure that those things are also part the various tests that we have in responsible AI or ethical AI. So you can't say, oh, that is a third-party system. I don't want to be held responsible for it. So you are responsible. So end-to-end governance and top-down, the board needs to know, the CEO needs to know, but they don't need to know exactly what your P-value is and what your ROC was and so on, right? So, But they need to be comfortable that you are doing the right thing and the right people are doing the right thing, right? So that's what the end-to-end and top-down governance. And that's something that is not sort of quite filtered into the, the organization. Um, And uh, the third aspect, I would say, is taking much more a risk-based approach, right? So not just the opportunities, the risks. And again, EU and a number of other uh, organizations have looked at it in terms of tiering the risk. So very high risk, very low risk. So don't have to do too much of uh, uh, compliance and processes for low risk. And similarly for high risk, we really need to be conscious as a society, what is it that we want to allow? And there's everything in between. So taking a risk-based approach, and this is where we have seen some of the financial services companies actually do much better, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they have a three lines of defense. So there's a first line and second line, which is independent of the first line. The third line looks at just the processes, right? So there is there is a sort of a cascading set of governance built in, checks and balances, which I think has worked well. And of course, that has been developed over the past two, three decades because of the regulation. And I think that may be a good model for us to adopt, again, very much with that risk-based approach. So I would say human-centered, governance-based, and risk based approach are probably things that we can learn uh, on how we have been doing things so far. Thank you, Anand. That's a wonderful, wonderful and very holistic answer. Uh, and uh, so another small question, uh, I know you are short on time, uh, the data bias, right? Uh, and the demographic bias, how important it becomes when it comes to responsible AI in healthcare? Yeah. Uh, it is very important, right? So bias and I mean, I would take bias and then fairness as well, right? So bias, there are specific things that happen when you get the data, the data has been collected for a certain purpose uh, in a certain demography, certain geography. So now, as long as you're aware of that, I mean, that's what data quality and the data uh, folks have always looked at it. But now with the modeling coming in, people are taking data from different sources and merging them together and then reinterpreting some of that data. So this is where you are very prone to data bias, right? So for example, if you did your clinical study on one group of uh, uh, patients or, 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 or subjects, if you like, and now 
unless the population scales exactly the same way, you can't take that result as is into some other domain, right? Mm -hmm. So it's sort of very critical how you do that. And sometimes we do all of the, in the random clinical trials, uh, digital clinical trials, you're taking uh, the overall population and then going deeper. At some point, it definitely breaks down, right? So by the time you add gender, age, various ethnicity groups, you get to a very, very small sample size. So now you need to be careful as to how you are declaring your results. Some of these are well-known issues. I, I don't think it's sort of specific to AI, but those things need are coming to the fore because you now have people, again, partly the issue is also democratization of AI, people who don't have the appropriate statistical upbringing and, and background and, 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 and techniques are trying to interpret some of these things where they could be led astray, right? So that's why I think it is important to address the data bias issues. I'm trying to try to treat the bias issues and how much you can take and, and remove some of the bias or, or sort of alleviate some of the bias different to fairness, right? So again, I think Swati mentioned this earlier, fairness, it's not, we see headlines, this algorithm by so-and-so company is unfair. Now, that's a very broad statement. There are 30 plus definitions of fairness metrics. Now, it is mathematically impossible for any one algorithm to be fair across all 30 of them. It's an impossibility. So uh, that statement doesn't make sense. So it may be unfair with respect to you, but it may be fair with respect to me. So we need to be very careful on how do we define fairness, for what purpose we define, what is the decision that's being made, and that needs to be explained. And that's part of some of the governance. So fairness is very much a social construct. So it's not that the algorithm is uh, unfair, it's just that you and I haven't agreed to what is our definition of fairness. So if we can resolve that uh, for this particular instance, I think that'll go a long way. It's a more a human issue than, than an than a algorithmic issue. So those are a couple of them, but I would say, I think uh, Swati talked about the explainability, interpretability, those are all important issues as well. And I think um, uh, being able to explain, especially in the medical domain, uh, becomes critical. Explaining to whom is it the patient? Is it the physician who is going to be explaining to the patient that he or she may have a cancer? How do you actually interpret that result? You don't want a bot to be telling, opening an email and, and reading out that, hey, by the way, you have cancer, right? So that's not the kind of thing that we want as an interaction as humanity, right? So, so those are some of the things that, that are much more nuanced that needs to be handled with respect to what do we mean by interpretability, explainability, security, and so on. Absolutely, Anand. Uh, wonderful to have you on the panel. I know you need to drop early. Uh, so I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And looking forward to talking to you in future as well. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so uh, Swati, Anand just spoke about uh, the entire framework which comes to the healthcare industry. And he quoted a couple of examples around clinical trials and uh, data bias in the clinical trial and so on. Uh, but uh, going into the specifics, right? Uh, and since you have worked with the real various federal agencies and payers, uh, what are some of the examples where people have already successfully implemented responsible AI or ethical AI, or everybody's still juggling with this issue and they are discussing it and uh, nobody has implemented it so far. And the reason I'm asking you is, like Anand said, we are all technologists when we started. So we get really, really excited about the technology part. 
but the implementation part is where the rubber meets the road, right? Uh, so would you have some thoughts about some implementation aspects or the use cases uh, with respect to the payer industry and uh, federal agencies? Yeah, definitely. I think nobody has, um, neither have anybody mastered it, nor have they, are they doing the due diligence because sometimes it does come as an afterthought. Um, so one of the things that um, Anand mentioned was also about human-centric design, which a lot of agencies, especially CMS, more recently in the last two years, have established a human-centric design center of excellence, which is very important because that brings the multidisciplinary team that's essential to have this conversation. So what I mean by that is that Yes, as a technologist worth her salt, I'm super excited about the latest research, but I always want to take a step back and say, but what does it mean to the problem we are trying to solve? What is the objective we're trying to solve? And is AI the best tool um, in the tool set to even solve that? So too often we don't ask that question because we're eager to embark upon the next pilot, the next prototype and so on. So I think as technologists, we have that responsibility to push back a little bit and say, okay, wait a second, do we have all the members in the room to have an open-ended debate? Because suppose I say, okay, this federal agency say, I'm making this up. I, I don't think it's a realistic scenario, but in IRS, all the taxes that are being filed by small businesses are going to be reviewed by an AI. So maybe there is a manual process right now. So the team obviously who does that today would be threatened that next year or down the lane, once they retire, they're not having a job or so on and so forth. So we do need, when you're talking about embarking upon a new AI system that automates a certain business process, which often is the case, um, we need to have the legal team in the room. We need to have the HR in the room to discuss, yes, it won't take away the jobs today, but what is the impact to this 15-member team? Is it going to become a five-member team? Let's talk about the elephant in the room, right? Because the minute you mention AI, frankly, a lot of people who don't understand what is the magic behind AI because they think it's it's a pixie dust, you sprinkle and fairies pop out. So you want to demystify that. You want to bring the multidisciplinary team, discuss and debate. Okay, so what if you re, if you are automating this process? What is the impact to the team? So we want to have all these conversations in the open, uncomfortable conversations. That's not so much about the technology, but more about the actual system. So that's one aspect of ethical AI, right? Because it's all about AI outcomes. And when you talk about the fairness, again, in an example, um, if part of the diagnosis is being done by an algorithm and then the doctor uses the diagnostic, then diagnosis done by the algorithm to make a decision, it's augmented, right? Are you still declaring to the patient that the decision the doctor is making has been supported by an algorithm, right? Because Yes, it's not completely human or completely uh, driven by AI, but AI is pushing the doctor in a certain direction too. So that kind of transparency are you declaring to your patient? So that's another question. Um, and when it comes to data bias, so there are research papers written about it, but one thing I wanna make sure that I mention here is about the provenance of data. 
So where does the data origin? What is the origin of the data? Are we following it along? Because sometimes you're dealing, when you're dealing with any algorithm that you're writing in-house, you're dealing with open source data, but you have to ask enough questions where the open source data is coming. So maybe it is being labeled by somebody sitting in some country in the world, and they don't have that ask, that lens that they have to see, and they're labeling it differently. All that matters ultimately. But if we are not asking those questions in the room, we are missing the boat on how the bias is getting introduced. The bias is not as straightforward as are you con uh, are you collecting general neutral data? Are you collecting enough demographic? It's also about where is the data coming from? How is it being labeled? Who is labeling the data? Do they have training in asking the various questions, right? So there's so many aspects of it. And the next part I want to say is about fairness that Anand mentioned a little bit about that. There are there are actually laws, a lot of laws around fairness. It's just not under the umbrella of AI. We need to consider, for example, there is Fair Housing Act, right? Yeah, and in, yeah. in the healthcare, there is PHI, there's PII, there's all these laws. We want to make sure we check those boxes when we are implementing or even designing the solution, having conversations with this multidisciplinary team about those and um, so on and so forth. So there are enough examples, I think, in the healthcare space. I can think I have provided an example initially about the fraud, waste, and abuse of a healthcare provider has been um, is penalized because of fraudulent activity that's been flagged by an algorithm. That's one use case. And definitely a lot of diagnosis is being made these days, augmenting uh, the thing. There's also an aspect of uh, medical review of medical policy and adherence to medical policy, a lot of NLP tools are being used. So there's a lot of use cases across the spectrum of uh, whether it's agencies or healthcare in general. Yeah. But I think a um, couple of things, if I had to mention, you do your due diligence to have the multidisciplinary team and debate uh, the outcomes you're trying to achieve. And secondly, um, ensuring that you're following the current rules and regulations of the protected classes under what comes as fairness in the regulation uh, regulatory world. Um, and, and thirdly, you want to make sure that you understand where the data is coming from and uh, not just check some boxes. Perfect, perfect. And, uh, you know, you also spoke about uh, the data availability to remove that bias. Now, HHS has introduced the new rule uh, for interoperability between EHR EMR systems in 2019. Does this rule solve the issue of data availability and democratizing the data to build that responsible AI systems to some extent, or we are still far away from uh, having that uh, oracle of data to uh, build good, responsible, ethical, explainable AI systems. I think it's. I think the the policy. I know. I understand what you mean. Has been introduced, but I don't think it's been implemented everywhere. That's one. The second thing that I'm noticing is that um, more and more use of synthetic data. Um, of course, it's it's quite complex. So one uh, one project that I did with the VA, they provided synthetic data that I just couldn't use because it was generated at random. So I think there's more research that has to be done in the synthetic data that it actually represents enough of the actual data that you produce outcomes that are meaningful. 
Um, but with respect to that specific policy, I think it's not yet implemented. We still see a discrepancy of carrying your medical records from one healthcare provider to another, and they're lost. Not lost in transit, they're just lost. It's like yeah, I literally, yeah. I change my healthcare provider, I lose my history until I, I, I like to print and keep a record. So that's easier than like calling and not. So yes, while, while that policy is there and they're moving towards that, it's, it's not implemented to the extent that it should be. Absolutely, absolutely. And you are absolutely right in pointing out to GANs and generative adversarial networks and so on for providing synthetic data uh, to remove that bias. Now coming to you, Tarun, you have work in like various aspects of the provider industry, right? So I asked Swati about the payer industry and uh, uh, federal agencies and a few other things, but uh, when it comes to providers, uh, it becomes even more critical to have responsible AI systems because you might be working on the clinical support systems, right? Not just the operational part of the revenue cycle management and claims and soft denials and other parts, right? Uh, where uh, explainable AI and responsible AI and so on really, really matters, right? So what are some of the moments you have seen in the industry? What are some of the projects you have implemented around this area, uh, which might be beneficial to our audience when they start thinking about responsible AI for providers, ACOs, accountable care organizations, PCMHs, which is patient center, medical homes, and so on. Yeah. So, you know, before I get to your um, question, I do want to echo what Swati said, right? I think when it really comes to AI systems and healthcare, especially when you get to clinical decision-making, um, it's very, very critical to uh, emphasize or really think through three very important questions. Uh, one is what impact is it really going to have on the consumer and the society broadly? Uh, so while moving to clinical decision-making is where I think healthcare is really excited about taking AI, there are a lot of simple business use cases where I think AI can offer incredible value, which are maybe sometimes overly specific. That's why I tend to lose some significance, but uh, are of great value and potential. Uh, the second one, which I know Anand talked a lot about and Swati talked about too, is how do these AI algorithms ensure that they're treating everyone fairly? Uh, and I'll talk about an example project that I was involved with where the cohort of population we really did this research on, clinical trials on, uh, was overly uh, targeted uh, because of which it was not relevant as much from an applicability perspective to a broader population. And that's where uh, the whole concept around availability of comprehensive data sources uh, becomes critical. I know you talked about the HHS uh, mandate to share data across uh, an interoperability, uh, but the reality is sometimes it was only the last decade that healthcare systems even started to implement robust EHR platforms, right? So uh, relatively speaking, it's, it's new and, you know, you're talking about some of the life and death situation here. Uh, so human-centric decision-making becomes really critical. Uh, and then uh, very importantly, I touched upon this on the uh, question before as well, is how do we develop 
people are all the way across the spectrum, right? From technologists, data scientists, to consumers, um, providers, or care team members, nurses, to even adopt and understand what the algorithm is really trying to um, indicate or the decision-making, decision support it's providing at the point of care. So I, th I think, again, I want to emphasize, and as Swati mentioned, it's the multidisciplinary approach and bringing all the stakeholders up front to be able to work through these challenges is what's going to make us successful. Um, now, moving to you know, some use cases, in my mind, at least personally, uh, the whole place where AI can add a lot of value is to make care personalized, predictive, preventive, and participatory. Right. So if you really think about it, uh, you want to be able to provide that personalized intervention to the consumers. Uh, you want it to be predictive in nature. Right. Uh, most of these diagnostic tools that are out there, it, if it's just diagnosing, uh, it's not adding as much value compared to if it's kind of almost giving you some indicators of a potential disease that you might end up acquiring because of certain lab conditions you're having, right? So you want to take it in that direction. Uh, and that leads into preventive care, right? I mean, there are so many non-healthcare, you can call it, right? More of the broader healthcare ecosystem around health and well-being, uh, where they are providing a lot of these AI tools to the consumers to be able to build that predictive uh, element to how they're taking care of themselves, which really leads into participatory, right? All these bots that you're talking about, you want it to be a two-way interaction. That's when it's going to feel real. Uh, so, you know, with that construct in mind, a couple of example projects that I have been involved with, and I'll lean back on what Anand said related to the risk-based, right? So we, talk, we start with a simple, relatively lower risk AI algorithm, right? Which is around how do you really predict surgical duration? So you're able to schedule these surgeries more uh, efficiently, optimize the provider's time. So you are able to eventually improve the throughput, improve the bottom line, improve the care team satisfaction, right? Uh, just to give you a historical perspective on that, a lot of uh, EHR algorithms that are out there are using basic statistics to be able to predict the surgical duration. They just take five past five cases that that surgeon has performed, average it out and tell you what the duration of the surgery is going to be. This particular project that we were involved with had to get down to the level of being spine cases that have huge variability uh, amongst them and then categorizing those into multiple buckets to say, okay, if these cases fall in this category, then this is the duration it's going to make. And it has had significant benefit, right? We were able to improve our OR utilization, which is a very expensive resource by 19%. We were able to reduce the overtime. So significant financial benefit and also is uh, leading to provider satisfaction, which again is one of the benefits that that could provide. Now, talking about, you know, more clinical decision-making uh, algorithms, right? So um, one of the places, one of the projects that I was involved with was really trying to uh, detect uh, left ventricular dysfunction uh, through an ECG, 
right? So a lot of times this heart disease gets undiagnosed, uh, but we the data scientist team was really able to build this algorithm using ECG data, 12 lead ECG data, to be able to predict the, the occurrence of a left ventricular dysfunction. We have gone through multiple clinical trials, but the challenge here becomes now, where do you incorporate this algorithm, right? A cardiologist, does a cardiologist need to get this algorithm uh, for use or does it need to go to a primary care provider, mm-hmm. right? Because that's where you can proactively, again, diagnose this to even determine the need to have a cardiovascular consult. Uh, but again, going back to what Swati said, immense amount of challenges, right? All the way from a primary care provider feeling the comfort level to be able to uh, utilize those results to make a decision all the way to how are we going to get reimbursed for uh, uh, something like this, right? Because, and who's going to take the liability of the decision that's going to be made. So there's a lot of innovation that needs to happen in that. And then I will say, You know, COVID-19, as like most things, uh, has given us a lot of opportunity to learn, right? And chatbots, really a rare occurrence in healthcare, right? Uh, Very simplistic chatbots, but they were used uh, for patients to really get a quick diagnosis on whether they should even get a COVID-19 test. Mm -hmm. Uh, So again, as much as we emphasize on what business need this is going to solve, I think all the other pieces will fall in place and the focus needs to be around that. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right, right, about the liability part of it, right? Someone once told me that uh, as soon as insurance companies start writing uh, underwriting AI solutions, everyone will implement AI, right? So, but uh, coming back to the serious topic that, um, of course, uh, you know, there are, there are so many use cases and uh, thanks for walking us through some of those use cases, uh, in the provider part of it. Uh, uh, again, coming back to Swati, uh, we see, uh, let us push about Obamacare from the Biden administration, right? Uh, we also see a push about AI.gov where people are pushing for a lot of AI solutions uh, and uh, making policies on them. We also see that uh, as a part of AI.gov, uh, there are some 20 countries coming together to build new AI solutions for drug discovery and so on, right? Uh, so uh, how, I mean, how these federal agencies have been thinking about responsible AI uh, while taking all these initiatives? And I'm asking this to you because you have worked closely with the federal agencies around putting an ethical AI framework together. Yeah, I think um, they are having the conversations, which is a very positive sign. Like, for example, DOD has JAIC, J-A-I-C, Joint Artificial Intelligence Commission, and they have published their ethical AI framework. Most recently, um, the chief AI officer of HHS has also published an ethical AI framework. And so the the good news is the conversations have started. Whether it is operational is is in question or maybe in progress. Um, And we just saw that uh, NIST wants to undertake establishing the risk framework for uh, 
for AI systems as well. So I, I think these are all like the precursors to actual policymaking because policymaking will come last of all and it's going to be, and I'm not a policy expert by any stretch of imagination, but what I'm hearing since I'm in the DC area is that it takes it takes a long time. You know, FTC is still talking about policies and telecommunications, right? And um, all the debates around it. So AI is even more complex than telecom because um, the way I always emphasize AI is very different is that, um, first of all, it all depends on a use case. I know the facial recognition technology has been banned in public places and cities like San Francisco, Boston, et cetera. Um, at the same time, there is a use case I read very uh, interestingly in Switzerland where facial recognition is used in an airport. Mm. And this has uh, been uh, published by the World Economic Forum. And it reduced um, you know, the time that it takes to screen a passenger significantly reduced the time. So who loves to stand in an airport screening yeah. uh, line, right? So, uh, so if that is the benefit, the question becomes, is this overall ban um, you know, a, a right decision? So I'm not, I'm not saying it is right or wrong, but I'm saying it's very use case driven. At the same time, the decision I make to ban a facial recognition technology cannot be applied to a natural language processing uh, algorithm used for medical reviews, very different. So, so uh, while DOD, HHS and other agencies have started the conversation, I think where the conversation needs to happen is that at the use case level, because every use case is so different, so varied, so everything is, driven very differently and we are having more and more research. I was just um, just meeting with a friend yesterday who's use, using the latest research in natural language processing. Um, so it's very, very use case driven. And, you know, there is also um, the other use cases of predictive analytics, whether a flight is delayed or not, um, whether some machinery is, you know, breaking down or not. How is that, um, should we even apply or do the due diligence of ethical evaluation or not, right? So, so yes, the conversation is happening. Uh, it's all, I think people have the right intentions, but it's complex and complicated because it's very use case driven. A lot of policymakers may not be technologists and you don't need to know the jargon. You don't need to know how uh, whether you're using a decision tree versus XGBoost, but what you need to know is what are the AI outcomes? Are the AI outcomes uh, being unfair? Is the AI outcome being going to treat me the same way as a non-binary person? Is it going to treat me the same way uh, as a general new, gender neutral person? Because historically, and this, this uh, precedes even AI, right? Historically, medical research has concentrated on certain demographics, right? So we don't know like um, if the research actually is applicable to certain geographical areas. And now like the census has shown that US has become increasingly diverse in population, increasingly diverse in their immigration population and the diversity of population. So if, if a doctor in Midwest has, has his historical knowledge only based on the research, yeah. And we are trying to actually automate using algorithm. We are just going to uh, amplify the biases. So, yeah. Yeah. so that's why it's like a complex and a complicated matter. And 
And the, the good news is this conversation is happening. The bad news is it's going to take a long time. Absolutely. So if I, if I summarize the conversation so far, uh, like Terence said, or you said, there are a lot of small use cases where the responsible AI or some part of it is implemented. Those are simple ones, easy to understand. What I also hear from all three of you, including what Anand said is, there's a need for data literacy, AI literacy, and democratizing AI, not just to the diverse population, but also to the policymakers, right? You need to educate them about what AI can do, what is true AI, what is generalized AI, uh, different models, different algorithms, but because this is not only about the outcome, but this is also about what and how, right? So I, I understand that you are talking about educating everyone about AI, uh, which is going to be crucial uh, or equally crucial to the success of responsible AI. And uh, I think the last part, which you all three of you spoke about is uh, the risk management part of it, the trustworthy part of it, uh, learning from other industries uh, while coming to the healthcare part of it, whether it's predictive maintenance and uh, flights to some tech players, to some social networks, uh, doing some things around responsible AI. We need to have that continuous lateral thinking uh, while coming to healthcare uh, with certain use cases uh, around responsible AI. And what importantly I hear from you is the population itself is becoming diverse. So the previous data, whatever you had, even if you had it in its entirety, uh, there might be still some bias in it. That is where the synthetic data and uh, uh, AI things like generative diversity networks, GANs, which produce that synthetic data uh, are so much fruitful, uh, right? Uh, what about the rare diseases part? Rare diseases itself has very small amount of data. Uh, I mean, to be called a rare disease, uh, the population needs to be uh, less than 200 K cases uh, as per the CMS uh, guidelines. Uh, so it itself has so much of le uh, less data and in that you have demographic stratas and so on, right? Uh, and then there are a lot of companies who want to invest in rare diseases, right? Because uh, uh, though the population might be fewer in future, uh, if we don't find a solid cure for it right now, in future, it can become a calamity, right? So in, in such cases of rare diseases, uh, how do you think the role of responsible AI uh, gets in and I'll, I'll keep that question open to both of you, uh, Tarun and Swati. Tarun, go ahead. Yeah, um, you know, that's a very interesting question. And uh, the only uh, two comments I'll make on that is, one is I think it is very important for all of us to realize that um, while it would be nice, AI is not for everything. So we need to be very mindful of that. Uh, the second thing that I'm seeing more and more happen in the industry is um, maybe not for rare conditions like you have mentioned, Prasad, but 
uh, in general, right, the only time we can make AI successful is through partnerships and ability to share and collaborate on building these algorithms. So the market market landscape is going to look very different in the future where more and more, and we are already seeing that, more and more organizations are collaborating with the and also sharing data and then building the trust with the consumers uh, where this is really going to be used for a bigger purpose and not to really um, exploit the system. So I think I think these are open questions that uh, time will unfold what the reality looks like. Perfect. Sounds sounds great, Tarun. Again, I really, really want to thank both of you, Swati and Tarun, for your valuable insights and your time. I know you guys are really, really busy. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, uh, this was a very, very nice topic and a difficult topic. I agree to that. Responsible AI itself is a difficult topic. It has various connotations, including the ethical AI, beneficial AI, trustworthy AI. Uh, in that, you need to figure out whether it's a narrow AI or a generalized AI. There are not many applications in generalized AI, right? Uh, and then healthcare, which is even a toughest domain uh, to crack. So thank you so much for being our panel members on and sharing your valuable insights and your experiences. I hope the audience is... Uh, like this section and uh, once you view this session uh, do let us know through email if you have uh, any questions uh, and uh, which we can probably try to answer in the future conferences and sessions thank you so much for everyone's time and uh, have a wonderful wonderful day ahead